What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in today to today's episode of The Drop-In. You know, we're in a season two now, and this whole show has been mind-numbing to me. And I hope it does the same thing for you. Because every single guest that comes in to the NRM studios just blows me away because it's more than I could even anticipate. And today is no different. You know, my guest today... I met him, I don't know, a couple months ago. I meet the awesomest people skateboarding. I meet him in life. And and that's one of the, the, the greatest things about being open, smiling, talking to people, holding doors for people. Whatever it is, you meet the most amazing people. And most out there do not give that a chance. So give it a chance. Give it a chance. That's lesson number one. If you're taking notes at home, lesson number one, smile more and give it a chance. Give it a chance. And today's guest, I met, we were riding a skateboard, and we're close in age. You know, I'm a freaking dinosaur, so I'm out there skating. And when I see other so-called dinosaurs, there's a camaraderie there. When you're over the age of 40, and you're still doing things that children do, there is an instant camaraderie, because you don't just wake up normally. You don't just wake up and go, hey, I think I'm going to take up skateboarding today. So I already know there's a history there. There's some kind of history. So we start talking and my when I left the skate park that day, I'm like I just met one of the coolest dudes I ever met in my life. I really did. And uh and I you know, I we connected, I reached out, I said I'd like to have you on the show and he said yes. So that's what you get today. Mr. Justin Critchfield is here in the NRM studios with me today. So I'm not going to run my mouth. We have a lot to talk about. I want to introduce you, the drop-in audience to Justin Critchfield. What's up, brother? Hey, how you doing? I'm <laughs> always good. How are you doing today, man? How was the drive-in? Fantastic. Calm, no traffic. I was trying to get zen out for this. Yeah. Um, I was really excited, so I just want to be calm, clear head, well, about your meditation comments, stuff like that. So. Well, it, it, it was, uh, you know, when we met, I don't believe in coincidence, and I think things happen for a reason, when they're supposed to happen, and we met skating at Modern Skate and Surf, which we did a whole show here at Modern Skate and Surf mm-hmm. a few episodes ago. If you didn't see it, make sure to go back and check that out, because uh, <clears throat> skateboard legends Kevin Staub sat down with me, Tony Magnuson sat down with me, and a bunch of other big heads, and that's where I met Justin. You were out there rolling around with your kids, huh? Yeah, I got three kids, uh, two of them skate, one doesn't forget he's four so he uh um just runs around and whatever but yeah yeah they kind of caused me to get back into skating and it's it's just been amazing and and likewise meeting you i was like holy cow this is so cool to meet a fellow dinosaur um but you're ripping you're doing crazy stuff that I, i would never do uh, well, you know, I still have a good time, and I understand my limitations, and uh, but I have fun. I just like rolling around, and I don't take it for granted, and I think that shows. The passion shows, and, and, and so thank you for the very nice compliment. But here on the drop-in, you know, we tell stories. We, we start at the beginning, and, and our audience is getting used to understanding how people got to where they got to in life. So let's start there. Where would you grow up? How was growing <clears throat> up? Because I know you grew up in northern Michigan. Let's talk about that a little bit yeah i um i was born in indiana i don't remember it uh, my parents moved right away i think up towards traverse city and uh, that's all i remember growing up and uh i loved it i have two i'm the middle of uh, I have an older brother younger brother um my dad's an entrepreneur and uh i don't know it, it was great northern michigan's awesome 
How was Traverse City at that time? Because I was just up there a few weeks ago, and it's it's very like upper middle class, touristy, like a, li- a little different than many of the other towns up there. How was it when you were growing up? Very podunk. Um, back then, yeah, now everyone asks me, like, why do you live here if when your family's in Traverse City? And uh, it wasn't always like that. Um, back, and that's how I ended up in Royal Oak. Just, um, it was so slow and sleepy, and a lot of the four lane roads that are there today were. Um, just two-lane roads, not a lot to do. Everybody knew each other, one high school, things like that. So it was just much different, but it was great to be on the water, just around water. I, I still miss it. Yeah, you know, it's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. And I was just up there in Fife Lake, which is about, oh. you know, half hour, 45 minutes east of Traverse City. And I stopped into Second Level Skate Shop. Oh, they yeah. have a beautiful skate shop there and uh, and hung out for a little bit, dropped off a board, and, and just a beautiful downtown area. It, it's, it's uh, I can't even picture. Was it, it Shane Jackson? Yep, yep, Shane was there. I'm buddies with him. Yeah, yeah such a rad dude. Yeah. And I dropped off my Franken-Buddha board to him to put up on the wall. But uh, nice. yeah, Shane's a great guy, and he always supports Michigan uh, business. And um, But I can't imagine Traverse City not being the way Traverse City is, because that's the only way I know it. Yeah. And it's it's high end. The skateboard park there's a little dated. I know they there's some discussion about updating that a little bit. But um, you know, growing up up there had to be a little different. You know, the towns around there, like you said, Po Dunk, it really is. The towns are small. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows everybody. Yep. And uh, and that had to be quite interesting to be up there. Now, you know, y- you sent me some really cool notes. When I when I, I send out an outline for you at home, I send the guests an outline so they know what's coming. And and Justin sent back just uh, I'm like we need like I don't know, two, three, four, five shows because there's so much content. But you grew up skating, snowboarding, doing those kinds of things. How was that at that time? Good. It was back, uh, my first board was Vision Gator. Nice. Uh, I think I was in probably fourth grade, maybe. I'm not sure. But um, those big old boards, Corey O'Brien, things like that, you know. Um, There weren't any real skate parks. There was one for a short time. And I competed uh, at just a local like between there, Cadillac, you know, around northern Michigan. Um, but I was never great. Um, I don't feel like at that. Um, and then I, I quit skating, I think, around eighth grade uh, just because I started snowboarding. And um, I really enjoyed that. Snow doesn't hurt as bad as pavement, for sure. And... Um, uh, I would spend my off-seasons then mountain biking and doing other things just to really year-round kind of train and make make sure I was taking care of my snowboarding fix. Mm-hmm. And, and snowboarding, see, as you were quitting skating, I was just getting started. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I really fell in love with it, seventh, eighth grade years, and, okay. and lost most of my friends because skateboarding was not cool and neither was punk rock. So right. there was like three of us in my high school that did those kinds of things. So it changed the perspective of... Uh, other people's views of me will say. You know, I was still mm-hmm. the same person, but it was a little little different. And you probably went through something very similar by being into skating and snowboarding and those kinds of things. Yeah, I feel like skating has changed a lot. Now people are friendly. Back then it was a little more hardcore. And if you go to a ramp or something, you, you might get beat up or maybe not. If you're, you know, to, it was just much different. Now I feel like people are encouraging and it's warmed up a lot. And you see a lot of girls skating. Like when I, when I, if you want, 
wanted girls, don't skateboard. When I was a kid, <laughs> it just wasn't a cool, cool thing, although it's addictive and it's beautiful. Um, back then, it just, it was kind of like a, I don't know, underground kind of sport. A friend of mine, Scott Ray, who has been a guest here on the show, he said we were outlaws. And yeah. that was sort of that's what right. it was. That's right. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> Being yelled at from cars driving by, tons of derogatory terms, some that were very creative. I mean, I was called some very creative <laughs> things when I started dyeing my hair and doing some different things. But it wasn't as cool. It was much different than it is now with the Olympics coming in in 2020. That's awesome. We have skate parks popping up everywhere. Tony Hawk has done amazing things things for the sport of skateboarding, mm -hmm. and it has really, really uh, turned a corner, I think. Um, but you really fell in love with snowboarding. Can you talk about that a bit? I did. I, um, my folks lived in Traverse City about two miles, I'm guessing, from um, this little ski slope called Holiday Hills. And um, a friend of mine had an early Burton that he wasn't interested in. It was just wood with rubber straps, like I think it might have been hand-painted. Um, and he let me use it, and I asked the uh, Warren, the guy that owned Holiday, Mount Holiday at the time, if I could ride it. He's like, you're not going to hit anybody, are you? I'm like, no, I'll be good. So he let me uh, ride that a bit, and then next year I got boards improved a little. And then um, it was close enough to my house. That was probably fifth grade, I think. Um, I'm bad with back dates and times and ages. But um, around fifth grade, I snowboarded. Uh, my parents would just let me kind of do my thing. I was responsible, real, just I behaved. They didn't have to worry about me. So I'd get home from school all winter and just walk every night and snowboard until like nine at night or ten, whenever they closed, and then come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Same thing. School. I slept through most of high school and everything because <laughs> of this. But um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm ADD, and I think that's like kind of maybe in the future they'll diagnose that is. Um, a mild form of autism or maybe a beneficial form of autism because like my social stuff would shut down because it's all I wanted to do and I was so fixated at it that I didn't realize I was practicing or getting as good or you know my friends were all would go to the ski resort to uh, meet their girlfriends or do I'm like why would you do that you could be snowboarding <laughs> they're all looking at me like I'm crazy and I was in hindsight I was like what was I thinking I was just so addicted to it but I'm thankful. I'm thankful. So I um, did that for a few years, and then I think in by eighth grade, I want to say eighth grade, um, or I guess back up a year. I just did that every night, and uh, I really loved it. Had some natural gifts, probably too. You know, like besides just the time, and um, I uh, I competed and everything else, and I won regionally most of the competitions. I would get in, and just by chance. Um, Todd Van Balkum, who had won uh, like racing in the U.S. Open or something, I think a month earlier or something, that was Burton's top guy. He happened to be originally from Grand Rapids. So oh, he went, sweet. Yeah. So he went to this local contest that I was at, and at, I think Crystal Mountain or something, and um, because of who he was, and I was like maybe 12, and um, I think he came back to beat me, but I beat him. It at his you know at his game and they're like holy cow this is a twelve year old what's going on here right um, and um, the, who he was and there was a Burton up there and they just were like hey we should talk and um, and now what does when you did that were they flowing you boards were they flying you around the country like what does that entail yeah back then snowboarding wasn't what it is today you know like sports I don't even know how many years 
not quite 30 years ago. So, yeah, snowboarding was pretty early. It was mostly, I mean, it was heaven as a little kid. I like signed, <laughs> and they called me up. They're like, "How old are you?" I'm like, 13. Okay, we got a different contract. Your parents are going to have to sign this. And, um, and you know, even back then, maybe I don't know. Um, but anyway, they um, they're like, "Okay, we're going to send you some some stuff." And just let me know when you get this, you know, our magazine or whatever it was. And so they, all right, open it up. What do you want? See anything on page one you want? And just like, I couldn't believe it. Awesome. And I was just a little kid. You know, I'd, I'd never heard of such a thing. So it was pretty special. And I can't even imagine what would be going through my brain. Like, I remember uh, 13, 14 getting a shop sponsor and feeling like I was on cloud nine. Somebody right. sending you a catalog and saying, okay, pick what you want, man. At 13? Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it, it was pretty awesome, and um, and then throughout the year, like they would constantly send me like, "Hey, we're thinking about making this board. Tell us, you know, give us your feedback." Like all kinds of prototypes, just tons and tons of stuff, all the time. Or I just felt like I was buried in stuff. All my friends were decked out in you know Burton stuff, and then um, I would sell sell some of that stuff as income mm-hmm. uh, when I needed to. Um, but it, it was the best experience ever. So then, you know, this happens, and that's got to be a huge, huge. And, and uh, when you turn 16, three years later, you make it to the U.S. Open? Yeah, yeah. So I competed on national circuits and traveled around a bit. Um, and uh, But I, I guess you can't, you can only compete pro once you accept money, winnings, or something like that. Skateboard world, but when I was coming up as an amateur, if I accepted more than $200, yeah, there was I was limit. then... Pro, like yeah. I could accept no money at all, cash money. We'll give you whatever you want. Right. Why you need ten jackets? I don't know. You know, stuff like that. I'm, I, I'm not sure. Um, and I, honestly, I can't remember. It was all so long ago and kind of. Yeah, it was just, it was nuts. Yeah. So uh, you know, and you have. I just, um, I stayed in Traverse City up until I graduated high school, and then I just moved to Vail. Really fun and neat. You get to ride on volca- volcanoes and all that stuff, but. Um, uh, I thought it was I didn't like like I um, other than I had a couple of accidents and stuff like that. But I wanted to ask you, you made it to the one percent level in skateboarding, and I like I to get into that very small world. Especially skating is a much tougher sport, in my opinion. A little late, like I was twenty six, twenty seven when I when I actually turned pro. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, again, an interesting time, you know, the mid-90s, because I, I never stopped. When people ask me that question, how did you turn pro? I just say I never quit. That's the only thing, because it was an ebb and a flow through the 80s and through the 90s. It was popular. It wasn't popular. It was cool. It wasn't cool. And I just never quit. Mm. And at 14, 15 years old, I was sleeping at the half pipe. Really? So I could skate every day. And it was it was something. I was playing ice hockey at a high level at that same time, but I took my skateboard on all these trips. You know, I played hockey in Sweden. I had my skateboard with me, and I was skating the subway stations. Oh, yeah. I played hockey in Canada, and everybody would be out chasing girls. I'd be grinding curbs in the parking lot. And so it was always there. And then college hit, and I met more people who were good skateboarders at Wayne State University in Detroit. So we were skating more. And I started, as soon as I got a license at 16, the first place I went with was was to a vert ramp in Monroe. I'm like, I can go to the vert ramp, you know? It was just something that was in me, and I loved it, and I had fun. Was it like an addiction? Uh, Almost, you know? Uh, I mean, like, for me, it was almost compulsive. I don't know if you have that, because it's not like... 
other sports you have coaches and things guiding you skateboarding snowboarding they're very individualized like sports of it's just you there's not a lot of structure around it yeah, and so getting to that high percentage is really interesting to me of like your path well there was an opportunity and i i i thank mr van doren from van shoes the owner of van shoes every time i see him i thank him because in the 90s, we started getting some contests, mid-90s, and we only had one indoor skateboard park in Michigan, and that was Kalamazoo. And we were going to Chicago and Ohio and, and doing different things, but the Warp Tour came through. And that was, uh, originally the Warp Tour was an amateur skateboard showcase. It wasn't, the music was second. The skating was first. And mm. so I accidentally won the Warp Tour in Detroit in 96 and 97, and surprisingly, everybody thought I was a vert skater. When street skating became obstacle courses, I started skating street. And so I could go faster and bigger than anybody else because it wasn't scary. Mm. And I won street in the Warp Tour 96, 97. And if you won, you got a trip to California. And it was the top 50 amateurs in the world. So I got some national recognition at that point. After the second time I came home, there was a new company coming out of uh, Grand Rapids called Stink Skateboards. Bill Danforth had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. And I called Danforth, and I'm like, dude, these people want to turn me pro. You want to go? And he's like, sure, let's go for a ride. So we went for a ride, and that was 20 years ago. We're getting ready to launch uh, or release a 20-year uh, anniversary model of the original Frankenstein board. And ironically, on that board, I have the silhouette of the Stanley Cup because hockey was my first love. So it was the equivalent of me winning the Stanley Cup, becoming a professional skateboarder. Did did you, even when you were pro, did you keep playing hockey? I, uh, no, I did not. I, at about 21, 22, my last year of juniors, I had an opportunity to go play pro hockey in New York, and I said, no, I don't love it anymore. I don't want to stop hockey. I was a goaltender. I'm like, I don't want people shooting pucks at my head anymore. I quit. And my dad about knocked me out, and uh, <laughs> and I said I'd never stop hockey pucks again. But uh, a few years ago, I did pick up goalie equipment. About ten years ago, I started skating out, and I'll play drop in and and do things like that. But on a competitive level. I just skate around the ice and smile a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I have a good time. But that's what I do on my skateboard nowadays. You know, mm -hmm. I smile a lot and I have a great time. And I love uh, meeting new people, seeing the, the young kids who are learning, the the ladies. I mean, the girls are ripping now and they're getting recognition. So awesome. It's such a great environment to be in the extreme sports world right now, be it snowboarding, skateboarding, whatever you do. It is a great time to be in that because it's so accessible. And it wasn't when we were growing up right it, it was difficult to get to but that created the brotherhood you know if you saw somebody wearing a pair of vans or something you knew they searched that out right. and you were instant friends or a minor threat shirt or something you're like dude and you were instant brothers and you hung out mm -hmm. so um it, it's a different kind of thing right now but now it i love it i love it I love it. I love everything about what's happening in the skateboard world in today's society. So I'm stoked to still be a part of it and be able to still be riding and be healthy, which leads me to my next question, because people always ask me, they're like, what's your what's your worst injury? And I can't say one injury. You know, I've stitched myself up. I've super glued my teeth in. I fractured my skull. There's those things happen. What I know you had to have some bumps and bruises, man. I did. Um, actually, my, I feel like all broken bones have probably come from skateboarding, but um, snowboarding-wise, I smashed my spine. I um, landed in a, a kind of like a stiffy going backwards, I guess, sitting position going uh, backwards, and probably 
fell like you know 15 feet or something i overshot a landing and just landed on my butt and my back just kind of stayed bad from that point um whatever i did i just had to go to chiropractors a couple times a week i felt like to keep functioning but it was okay a lot of advil and then um when, when i moved to Vail, i fell again i'm um on my butt and uh it didn't smash my spine but i was um had nerve damage and became paralyzed and um i couldn't walk for a very long time um it was that was by far the worst like during that time um some you know people would have to do, do my laundry i would pee from my knees and have like pass out uh, just that because moving would make me go unconscious and i would never know it but everything I, I couldn't do anything i couldn't really function for a long time lots of therapy at the hospital stuff like that months of therapy that's you know i mean it comes with the territory mm-hmm. it does and with snowboarding i mean you guys are like jumping off of mountains out of helicopters i mean with skateboarding you know i mean yeah i break an ankle break a leg break a wrist i get it but snowboarding to me that's why i never did it i've only snowboarded like five times in my life really? because i knew and i love it i love carving i love border cross i have a great time but i knew if i started I'd want to jump out of helicopters. I'd want to go. I, I, I knew that, so I didn't give it a chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the sickness works, right? Skateboarding and snowboarding. You always just want to push it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy uh, to. I mean, I think that was a very mature decision on my part at that time because I know I saw guys in helicopters. I saw Tony Farmer, Riders on the Storm. I knew mm-hmm. what they were doing. I wanted to. It got me fired up, John Cardiel. I was fired up, so I was like, I can't do that. (laughs) I just can't, because I will chase it. I knew I would, and uh, I give you guys a ton of respect, ton of respect, as as with what you've done in your life. Um, Amazing, amazing. So how, how, what happened with your back? How'd you fix it? Do you still deal with it today? So, um, that's actually a weird story, but you probably like it. Um, did we talk about this, Howard? I don't think so. Oh. So, anyway, it got, it got to a certain point. But that, like My back was so bad, at one point, um, some friends picked me up from Michigan that were doing a ski camp in Breckenridge, Colorado. So, a friend driving through picked me up, took me over to where their condo, and they were going to go train for the day, but then they have Thanksgiving at night, uh, that night or whatever. And so, a friend picked me up, and they put, put me down in the... Uh, in the condo and uh at that time i was still like uh sometimes passing out uh if i moved or anything so i couldn't really like had, i had to have somebody carry me here do it. yeah it was weird um pretty rough but any, anyway they they leave i swear 10 minutes later the building catches on fire and so i'm sitting there it's like i'm going through in my mind like Okay, so I could try and climb out, but I'll probably lose consciousness. And um, it was getting so smoky, like I couldn't see from me to you, you know. Um, and I'm like, at least if I'm sitting here, I can yell to a firefighter if they come to the door or something. I don't know, but I'm guessing you could see smoke outside. I didn't know. <laughs> um, well, I like, couldn't see the TV. I was coughing and stuff. And uh, thankfully, a fireman came and like opened the door broke it open I, I don't really remember and yelled like is anybody in here and he just came i tried to explain i'm like no i'm hurt you got to be careful and he didn't care he just grabbed me by my jacket and shirt and ran out of the building and drug me upstairs and i was dying from you know from <laughs> that pain but then um everything went black i woke up in another building uh turns out i had smoke inhalation and um was just scared crapless at that point and then i tried to sit up and they slammed my head back down which 
it's like the motion that you know. <laughs> so I got it, it got pretty rough, and then uh, I, I probably went to like three months of therapy in the hospital. I'd go in for these therapy treatments, and uh, that got me to a certain point. And the docs were like, "Well, this is this is how you are now," um, and it's a very good hospital. Fails known for sports medicine and things like that, but they're like, "So go." You know, join the gym, do hanging leg raises. The best thing you can do, get your core super strong, and that's the only thing we can think of that will minimize your injury or, you know, make it livable. And um, it's weird. Sometimes, like, I'd lose feeling or my legs would get wobbly, or if I went grocery shopping, I'd have to lean on the cart. It was I couldn't really ever stand up straight. So I was at the gym one day, and uh, this guy walks up to me, and he's like, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And... This is a whole story we can do a show on this, but he's like, "Oh, I want to heal you." And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. I'm not into it." Um, yeah, I was just thinking like that some dude just hitting on me. I'm straight. It's okay. I, <laughs> right. I love you, but thanks for no thanks. And he's like, "No, no, no, no." He's like, "Yeah, nothing to lose. I don't want anything from you. I'm just here to heal you." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I was raised Christiany. I'm, I'm probably not into it. That, that's okay." And he was persistent, and things happened anyway. He's like. You have nothing to lose. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go. And, you know, I'm a young kid at this point. I'm 17, I think. And um, and he's like, okay, cool. Come to my house on Tuesday at 4 o'clock or whatever. So I go to his house, and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done. I was just thinking, a little weird, but okay. You do have nothing to lose. The doctors just said you're going to be with this the rest of your life. Nothing we can do. Yeah, and I was kind of depressed. Like, I couldn't. My snowboarding sucked after that. And just everything sucked. Life-changing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was very limited. Uh, lots of pain. I was taking tons of Ad. Like, I kind of lived on Advil, I feel like, um, and a lot of it. But anyway, um, I just was like, okay, I won't drink anything. I won't take any, you know, like, I was worried about getting drugged or something. I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was paranoid or what, being from a little town. But um, anyway, he, I knock on the door. He opens it up. He's like, wow, you look just like your mom. Come on in. But he said it like, n- like it was nothing. And I'm at the time, I had hair, like, to my butt, and I looked exactly like my mom, like, our high school pictures look like we'd be twins. I'm like, that's weird. Okay, mm-hmm. so I go in, and he's like, hey, ma'am. Um, so this is just energy stuff. Um, just sit on the couch, relax. Don't crush your arms. Don't crush your legs. And he's like, I'm just going to do my thing. And so he stood in front of me and does this, like, ooh-ah thing, waving his hands. And he was very, like, light about it. Like, like it was a joke. Like, sorry, man. No, this is weird. But I'm just going to do my thing. So he has his hand back and forth, and I remember thinking, like, it sounded very in stereo, like, whatever sounds he was making. It seemed close. At one point, I opened my eyes to make sure he wasn't, like, naked or in front of me, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. and he would just kind of laugh, like, sorry, you know, like, sorry, no, it's weird, but this is how it works. He just did that, and then um, he, uh, the only time he, I think he ever touched me is, like, af- after doing that for a little bit, he... Had, had, he's like, hey, grab a pillow, just lay out on the floor. I'm going to touch your shoulder if that's cool. And he just sat Indian style next to me and just touched my shoulder. And I blacked out and saw, like, crazy, I don't know what it was, like, flashing, almost like flashing lights, like, through a tunnel or something, like, just choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. I woke up. I was scared crapless. And he's like, oh, you okay? It's like, big movement. And um, so he said it would take four to six sessions. It only took four. That was the only time he, I think, put his hand on my shoulder that I remember. But walking out, he's like, hey, how do you feel? Like, I should feel something. I'm like, I walked in there, fine. You know, sometimes that pain was less than other. I'm like, fine, fine. And he kept. He asked me like two or three times on the way to the door. I'm like, I feel fine. 
he opened the door and when he did like everything looked different like i could see the veins and leaves of trees things were prettier it was weird it was the weirdest thing and um and i forget about these things because they happened so long ago but um my like my actual eyesight improved but i was felt like an observant person i was really into photography at the time and um i was like he couldn't have drugged like you know he died like i was wearing a shirt he didn't touch my skin i didn't accept anything to drink you know i was like right. driving home like what is going on this is wild and i never wear glasses uh, so my vision was fine before 2020 vision it's now better than that and it, it's what's weird is that has stayed like when i get my eyes tested for my driver's license i always forget about this and they're like oh do you have contacts nobody can read like the whole thing and uh I'm like, no, but it's like, oh, yeah, God, that's weird. It's still weird to me that, um, but my whole body, all my old injuries, everything, even though he, I just told him about that one thing. Um, and he just told me all kinds of, he's like, each time, each session, I'll, we'll do some energy work and then I'll tell you something, I'll, you know, about yourself. There'll be some kind of extra thing. And it was always something different. And some stuff, like I told him, I'm like, yeah, I don't believe in any of this. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all, it's cool. This is just how I see it. And he was right about everything. And, parents didn't come out to see me when I got paralyzed, but they're very Christian-y people, and they thought this was the work of the devil for sure, because this was not a Christian guy doing this. Of course. And, um, they were out, as soon as I told them, I'm like, yeah, I'm healed, like, 100%. And my friends were all like, dude, how are you doing this? You know, anything. Snowboarding or anything, just going around. It was like a total reset of my body. I don't know what, how he did it or what he did. And he didn't want money, didn't want anything. Did he offer any explanation? Like today, if somebody uh, was going to do something like that, they'd say, I'm a Reiki master or or I'm this or that. Did he give you any explanation at all what he was doing? Uh, like, well, was he a Buddhist? Was he this? Was he that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we became friends through this process. And just because he was uh, so chill about it he, he was probably like 40 early 40s but super fit healthy guy um didn't have a job spent all day meditating and i guess when he was young he um or in his 20s he spent all of his 20s he was a buddhist monk in like a monastery maybe or whatever they call him uh he said just meditating and cleaning bedpans and he's like it's the most uncool thing in the world but you know it helped him and he could he could just see and and work with energy. It's like just, but I focused on it forever, so I could do that. He was very humble. It was kind of like talking to Jesus or something, you know. Like, there was never a hesitation or judgment or anything. He was so down to earth and just like, well, this is how it is, you know. <laughs> I Super like cool. It. I like it. Yeah. Is he still around? Is he still on? He, I believe, he lives in L.A. And I actually need to find him. Um, probably doesn't even know how greatly he affected me. Um, and a million people, my parents, so they flew out to meet him, and they're like, no way, this works. They showed up with, like, Bibles in their hands. We had, I don't know, five-hour lunch. And by the end, they were just like, we will pay any amount of money um, for him just to hang around us. This is the most amazing person we've ever met. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it, I like yeah, it. It's pretty neat. It changed, changed my views. He told me about, like, past lives and stuff like that for me and things I could not deny. Like, he was so right. But he... I'm so stubborn. I wouldn't have believed any of this unless, like, he physically healed me. So I kind of need to buy the other things he's telling me. And sometimes I buy it to him, like, throw him off. Like, man, you really like pickles a lot. It's weird. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, nope, don't know what you're talking about. He's like, huh, that's just how I see it. But he was right about everything. Like, even though I'm trying to throw him off. Funny. How crazy. 
<laughs> I, like I want to I want to meet this guy now. Like I yeah. want to hang out with him because it throws a little bit of my philosophy out the window. Because I I am a big student of of the power of mind and the power of thought and and those kinds of things. And I think as you think, so shall you be. And thoughts are things. And on a quantum level, your thoughts do affect molecules and subatomic molecules, and we can do that. Yep. Now you had, uh, I mean. There was no belief, no faith in this guy, and you were healed. Like, if anything, you were you were a skeptic. Yeah, for the for at least for the beginning of it, and it was still working. Yeah, I kind of always had issue with uh, Christianity, and may, maybe most structured religions. I feel like are just maybe putting God in a box of some sort, so we mm-hmm. can maybe un- relate or understand or whatever. Um, and so I, I think I was always an open person. Like out of my family, I was the I. Like, I remember as early as, like, second grade, not, I'm like, there's something wrong with this Christianity gig. I'm not digging it. Uh, something. And it's not that I'm anti that. It's like some of these answers or the logic isn't seems small to me compared to what God is or can be or, or whatever. So I might have been open. Um, obviously, I went, you know. And so, but this dude knew everything about me. is weird. That is very strange. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm, I'm similar. You know, I, I grew up and, and I knew who the Mormons were. And I went to church with my 16-year-old girlfriend and learned the Baptist religion. And, and I understood it. I've been to Catholic churches, but I've always been open. And I, I never claim one particular faith, but I don't talk bad about any of the faiths. You know, I think— They're all bad. I think, we're, I think we're all interconnected. I think they're Absolutely. all telling the same story. They just decide to put their ego in there and, and make it their own. I I just think that we're 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 all like I said interconnected. We're we're all here to be successful. One hundred percent. I I that's how I always viewed it too. It's like I think they're all talking about the same God. The more I look into all these different things, and it's just how humans can relate to things because we're limited in some ways, or you know, geographically, especially in the old days, if people didn't travel, you know, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Your region, what you believe, you're always told. Sure, you'll. You, some of that stuff sticks no matter what. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, so, like, my, I've had crazy injuries, and you're into meditation and all this stuff. How has that affected you? And is, is, you've had some major, you were telling me some accidents or injuries, yeah. and I was curious, like, you're a practicing uh, meditation all the time. Do you interweave that? Do you use it to help heal yourself? Like, how do you, how does it benefit you? Or have you experienced anything kind of like I did, even though I didn't know what was happening? It was almost outside of the medical world healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. And, and that is a great question. In, in 2010, I could barely walk and I didn't know what to do. And I, I, my hips were giving me issues. I was in excruciating pain, like, like what you were saying. I was just, and I'm not a, an aspirin taker. I never take, I, I don't take pills. And I would take aspirin all the time. I, I figured I was getting new hips. I went to see Steve Eiserman's doctor, and he was like, uh, Mr. Wow. Bally, you have deformed femurs, which I already knew because I had to wear braces on my legs for the first couple of years of my life, like Forrest Gump. So I knew my legs were whacked out. He's like, you have deformed oh. femurs. You have FAI, which is femoral acetabular impingement, so you have some extra bone growth in your hips from my goaltending career, where my body was trying to protect itself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, you got cysts, you got bursitis, there's some other things going on in there. Take pain medication, I'll give you new hips, you're too young right now. So when you can't function in life, 
I'll give you new hips. And I went all Hulk Hogan on him. Like, I was in a gown, and I, like, ripped it off. I was devastated. I was in tears. And I went home, and uh, that's about when I started my first podcast, actually. Because I'm like, I'm addicted to adrenaline. I have to do something. And what, I, year, what year was this? 2010. Okay. And I started Underground Valley, and it was a, a free podcast. And it was similar to this. I started interviewing people who inspire me. Mm. Well, I also... Uh, came across some different kinds of things. I read a lot and I like to learn. And I started hearing about these people having like miraculous healings and the power of the, the interconnection between your mind and your body and how you think and that your body uh, rebuilds itself completely every two years by how you direct it. And so I shifted my diet and started getting into meditation a little more. What, what changes in your diet did you make? Uh, I started to try to adjust the pH in my blood. And um, like I started like alkaline eating, water? Yep. Okay. And, and eating wheatgrass, which is the most uh, pH balanced thing you can possibly ingest. Mm. Or that's what I read anyway. And I learned that from Tony Robbins, actually. And so it, it causes more oxygen to travel to the rest of your body. It mm -hmm. also, like, it, it helps a lot of different things. So I started balancing the pH of my blood and I started doing this, peeing on little strips to see what my pH was. And within three months, I started playing hockey again. Six months, I ran my first 5K and my body was virtually healed. Well, and how much of that was meditation? I think it was all it was all connected. The whole thing? It was the whole thing was connected. How I was talking to my body. Were you just picturing it? Being total, better, like visualization, um, talking to certain parts of my body. I do it to this day. Yeah. I, I do it to this day. I talk to different parts of my body. I broke my leg like uh, actually it was uh, April, May, June, June twentieth of last year. And I broke my fibula in half and my the corner of my tibia was cracked off. And I, I did exactly what my surgeon told me to do, but I also, sitting around, would visualize exercises in the gym. I swear to you, my cast would get tighter on my calf because my body was telling my calf I was working out, and so my calf was reflecting that in the muscle. Oh, science backs that up that like meditation or visualization is almost equal to physical practice. It worked. There's a percentage of that, and we could get into that, too, because mm -hmm. I've studied those things. Mm. Um, but uh, And I knew this. So throughout the, the whole rehab time of my leg, and the doctor's telling me, he's saying, you know, you will not, you might be walking in October. And, and then we'll, we'll start the rehab from there. I don't know when you'll ride your skateboard again. And so he's like, hmm. you will, but I don't know when. Well, August 27th, he cut my cast off. And he said, I don't know what you're doing, Mr. Valley, mm -hmm. but you can walk right now. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing. And I said, what about physical therapy? And he said, again, I'm not sure what you're doing, but you don't even need it if you don't want it. Wow. And uh, I started walking that day, and by September, end of September, I was skating again. By October, I was skating at a pretty high level again. And the only problem I've run into is from sitting around for that couple months, my hips tightened up again because I was focused on my leg and I wasn't focused on my hips. Oh. So I did go to physical therapy to work on the range of motion in my hips again. And today, I have no pain once again, and I'm skating at a high level and living my life pretty well. And so I think it all, it all goes together. Can you I, wear heels now? I look good in heels. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I love this. I love it. Um, we're sitting here with Justin Critchfield, and you know what? I, this conversation has been 
awesome. Different than past shows, you know, because it's a little bit of back and forth, and I'm digging it. So, thank you very much for tuning in to today's episode of The Drop-In. We have some of the most amazing people here in the NRM studios, and I want to thank you for tuning in, because as you tune in, I get to bring you more of this, more stories of crazy healings where he can't even he can't even function and some dude's like hey i got this don't worry about it and you heard it here only on the drop in um you know that story of your back is amazing and i i i'm a big fan of a gentleman named dr joe dispenza and he has written several books and they they totally changed my life he had a very similar kind of thing where he was in a triathlon was hit by a car going 50 miles an hour it compressed the whole middle of his back he was a chiropractor at the time knew as much about the spine as anybody and doctors are telling him we need to put these rods in we're going to shave off the back of your vertebrae and put these rods in it's the only thing other than that if you stand up you will be paralyzed it had uh, put a weird angle on his thing and he refused it he said i'm not doing it and he went through a whole process and within 10 and a half weeks he was back to practicing chiropractic and uh, doing his thing and wow. so you know it is available if you are looking for it, you have to trust the professionals on a lot of things. I, I'm not going to say don't trust your doctor. I'm not saying that at all. But look at other ways. We had um, Sanford Lupatis on this show, and he's an international uh, homeopath. Mm-hmm. And his, he backed it up. He backed up the homeopathy angle of healing. And he, mm. he Skyped in from South Carolina. He's all over the world speaking at Johns Hopkins. And he backed it up. He backed it up that the power of thought and the power of mind can change things. And with you, that's why it threw me for a loop. Because in the beginning, you weren't like all on board. And it was working. And it had to work for you to get on board. And I think that's very interesting to me mm. as, a, as a student of, of the, those kinds of quote-unquote miraculous healings. Because mm-hmm. I don't think anything is a miracle. I really don't. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, how, uh, so following this, you get healed, you do your thing. Do you snowboard anymore? Oh, yeah. The, the next year, um, that happened in the summertime, and um, everybody leaves Vail, um, except for a few locals. And um, uh, I stayed. I'd never expected to, but I, I lived there year-round. And um, when the next season came, all my friends thought I, you know, went to Chile or New Zealand or something to Trent. They're like, how are you riding? What happened? And I'm like, oh, remember I got healed? They're like, oh, that's right. It's so weird, man, that you're just functioning. Because it was better than I was even before my injury unveiled. I was still always messed up and going to see chiropractors and stuff from my, you know, uh, an accident when I was 16 when I landed sitting down and smashed my spine a little bit or something. And, um, but even like it just, I almost was like turned back into a kid. I was blessed with like a reset button and uh, that's what it's like and, and i'm amazed it's all stuck like i don't have all the things that plagued me before like everything now do you feel pain today nope for real well you mean from any of my injuries yeah nope that is amazing amazing because i'm right there with you i don't other than my hips when i get emotionally upset my hips still hurt me Go figure. Mm-hmm. But other than that, people always ask me. They're like, dude, do you get out of bed just creaking and, and, and you just can't even walk? And I'm like, no. They've been saying that. My friends who have quit riding have been asking me that for 10, 15 years. You know, do you, are you a type? No. I get up and do my yoga and do my meditation and get my day started. And they're like, what the water water? How much of that do you think is expectation? Like you're actually 
proactive, you know, you're aware and you're doing these things. Mm -hmm. But some of the people I feel like that are aging, and that's something I want to talk to you about with skateboarding, I have found, because I just kind of got back into it, this, it, it's almost like a fountain of youth for Completely. me in some way. Like even falling and getting hurt. And right now I have, you know, this cast on, uh, broke my wrist. I'm shocked at how many people were like, see, you're getting too old. And I'm, every person has said that to me. And I'm like, would you tell kids, a million kids have broken their wrists, ankles, bones, all doing everything. Would you ever say, oh, see, you're too old, you shouldn't do that? Well, my view is like, no, I, just because I got hurt and quit? No, no, no. You got to keep moving. You got to, you know, and you like proactively do it. But I wonder if um, some of your friends that had to hang it up, it was like kind of on expectation. Like you're, we all age and, oh, that hurts a little bit and kind of, mm, this is how it goes. I need to quit. I'm gonna, or I need to lighten up. I'm going to take that totally to left field. Because I think we're socially programmed to believe that. That yes. you get to this age, this is the way you're supposed to be. You get to this age, this is the way you're supposed to be. I will tell you about a little town in Russia, and I can't think of the name of it, but it might come to me. And they're this isolated town in Russia. They they lived 130, 140 because that's what they the only thing they know. So when, when, when people, uh, men and women alike, when they get over 100... They are revered, like they are hot. They are treated like smoking hot men and women. The young pups are like, oh, you are the stuff. And these people lived hmm. 120, 130, 140, and they're out there doing their thing, mowing the lawn, you know, whatever they do out there. And so I think we're programmed, and, and it's moving up. Like I think of, of my dad when he was my age. I'm 47. I'm 47 years old. I still do everything I did when I was 14, and some of those things even better. My dad, when he was 47, he had already quit playing softball. He was still bowling, but he wasn't doing a lot of the physical activities that uh, everybody was doing. So I think social programming has a plays a huge role in that. And with me, as you think, so shall you be. If you're told at 40, you're over the hill, which people told me. They're like, dude, how does it feel to be right at that cusp over the hill? I said, here's a picture of me doing a hand plant in a 10 and a half foot pool about a half hour ago, because I wanted to do that when I was 40. Um, I, awesome. I, re I really think the power of thought, uh, it, it, it plays a huge role. And I see that, that curve, that bell curve, getting further up up there where you know they say you know the 50s a new 30 or whatever i believe that because i'm three years away from being 50 and not much is going to change between now and then i'm still going to rock my drums ride my skateboard draw pictures and go play hockey you right. know it's really uh how you think and i i've watched it my neighbor is uh she's in her 90s and in three months ago she was out picking up grass doing you know doing her thing around the park and within a month, she is in, on a walker, not being able to function very good at all. And I went to visit her, and I just think she finally gave up mentally. Mm. She decided, I'm done. I'm done. And I've watched it deteriorate in a month. I've wow. watched her go from being active and virile to basically nothing. And the doctors say there's nothing wrong with her. There's nothing wrong at all. 
and she's shuffling along with the walker. So the power of thought is being able to be measured nowadays. People, doctors and scientists are being able to quantify it and show you what your thoughts can do. And I believe that as far as the aging process goes. There's another, I can go on for hours and I'll just leave it this story. No, I love it. Um, I love this. There's another lady who, it was in the 60s, and she realized this before a lot of other people. And at 30 years old, she looked in the mirror and she truly believed it. The biggest thing is to have a childlike belief. The belief and the faith is the hardest part as we become adults. But she had a childlike belief. She looked in the mirror at 30 and she's like, I will never age another day. And she truly believed it 110%. When she died in her 80s, people have written testimony that she looked exactly like she did when she was 30 because she decided this isn't going to affect me. Nothing. Your cells don't get old. They don't get old the way you do. And if you study science and you look into those kinds of things, we don't have to get old. You know, mm-hmm. you can think your way into the gutter and you can think your My way into the there. Yeah. <laughs> Mine does try to go there, but it, 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 it's easier now. You can fake it till you make it. I, yeah. I truly believe that. And, mm-hmm. and from positivity, you know, in my 20s, I woke up every day and my mom said, how are you feeling today? And I said, I woke up again and I wish I didn't, mom. And she knew I was being honest. And so there was mm. a, a shift in my life that, that said, you know what? Life is cool. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'll probably live to 100 now because when I wanted not to live, they made me live <laughs> and stay alive. So now I'll probably live to be 150. But that's a whole nother, nother At show. At loving it now. I love it. I love being alive. I take advantage of every minute of every day and I don't take it for granted. And that's what I want you guys to do. You know, this show, it is to inspire you to get off your damn couch and make life happen. You have to take advantage of every minute of every day. And Justin Critchfield here has given, was given a second lease on life because his back was it was jacked it was it was a definitely a quality of life injury that would have affected the rest of your days and who knows if you'd be here with me today mm-hmm. and you are and the the healing was amazing I don't think you can measure that. And I don't think scientists can still to this day. That kind of power and faith in the gentleman. I like the way you, you explained him. Like, uh, yeah, it's just me doing my thing, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, I like that, that he didn't come across as some guru. Like, hey, I'm God and I'm going to heal you. That he was just laid back about it. Yeah, yeah. And he'd like, uh, I can't find my sunglasses. I'm like, you can tell me everything about the, the universe or whatever, but you can't find your glasses? Like... <laughs> I guess it's a good trade-off. I don't know. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so you move on in life, you know. And I know you've had uh, quite a few different, um, different uh, pathways. Which, again, we're gonna have to do step two, step three. You're gonna be back in these studios a few more times. But what are you doing today? What What do you do today? So today, I am a vice president of uh, strategy and growth at iWork. We're a tech service and software development company, uh, headquartered in Royal Oak, where the uh, right downtown. And you have a few locations around the country, don't you? Like if you go, if I go to your website, it shows different things around Texas, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. We So we have a Fort Worth, Dallas uh, area, uh, office, and then we have an Arizona office we just got going. So uh, it's exciting. But we, we're actually, we serve clients in 30 states, or over that now. Um, so we're kind of everywhere. The way technology is going, we can help people all over the place. And you know, it doesn't matter where developers are. Um, a lot of people prefer they're in the U.S. just for communication and stuff like that. Um, we do get clients that way. Um, but, the, but I don't know. Just technology is amazing, so we can help people anywhere. 
And now you have a very interesting leadership model. That's what intrigued me. That's why I bring up iWork because okay. it go it ties together everything we've been talking about because your leadership model is very interesting and you cause uh, helped cause some serious growth in in the company. Uh, it's sort of laid back. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so um our tech service division was uh, 10 years ago. It was pretty small. It wasn't doing great. Um, I had owned some businesses and was friends with the founder of the company, Tom Lewis, and um, he thought it, it was a sales problem, maybe. Um, he, wasn't, he was more involved in the software side, I think. Uh, but anyway, it, it was just kind of stalled out. I, and after, he's like, hey, you want to help me with sales? I had some sales background. I'm like, sure, I'll help you out. And um, we actually, that's how we met, skateboarding and just skateboarding. Uh, go grab a beer and talk business or something like that. And we, uh, I guess uh, I was probably in my 30s then. Anyway, um, but uh, anyway, it was super cool. He um, gave me the opportunity to sell. And then um, uh, he gave me the opportunity to sell. But after being there a little bit, we just noticed there's certain things about uh, that needed addressed, and a lot of it was just how do we improve the lives of the people here uh, and our clients? And so we started doing things that were counterintuitive, like we got rid of contracts. And really, what would what would I want if I was our customer? I hate signing long contracts. And then, uh, or for staff, like we got rid of quotas. We actually got turned everybody over to um, salary-based pay. Um, and overtime, if they you know qualified or depending on their role and stuff like that, but we basically said you're taken care of. Just go help people. Just go do good. And then we have a weekly meeting where a lot of times we talk about why it feels good to do good for others and what the effects of that, or how to manage your money so you're not frustrated, or because that really takes morale. People are like they spend themselves into a hole, then they're mad. I need more money, and they'll go take a crappier job or lower their quality of life just because of the things they're doing. So we, we would teach them about some of those things, not real technical things, but just life lesson type stuff that you would naturally seek out. I'm like that too. And we started sharing those things, and it was crazy. Our growth, you know, after two years of that, and we went pretty extreme, um, or I did in my head, to get to that place. Um, a lot of backlash from the upper echelon because you were going against the classical model? Uh, no, they actually gave me the freedom to. I said, hey, I got an idea. I'd like to. This is our worst division. I just, can I take care of it and uh, or take this over? And I'm um, run with it. And they gave me that opportunity, which was really awesome. And uh, I'm so thankful. They gave us the opportunity to try some of these kind of experimental things, a lot of things that we, we had never heard of. And um, Mike Pollock, our chief. Uh, uh, technician was a huge part of that. He and I would just go sit and have long lunches and talk through life and how we could make things better and really different and not how do we push this number or that number, you know? We told people, don't worry about billing people. Just go help. Even if it's changing someone's tire in the parking lot, like, just do that. Just write it down. Don't worry. It'll be okay. And I think that set a tone of happiness and happiness breeds more happiness and it rippled out and we just grew by word of mouth a lot and um, even have done like a Probably close to a million dollar project with a healthcare company, which is very usually very litigious, um, just on a handshake. Like, is this the right thing to do? Like, the trust grew so much because nobody was trying to sell them anything. They could feel it. It was so different to normal businesses where it's just, we were just there to help, nothing else. And there was no pressure on anyone. It was amazing. And just reducing stress. Everybody knows that improves health and reduces, you know, um, or improves. Uh, 
efficiency and everything else. Yeah, so and that they're was proven huge. stress stores in the body in different ways and Absolutely. whatever. Now, with iWork, do you work with mom and pop companies, huge organizations, everybody? Who is your target audience for our people watching? If they wanted to reach out to you and say, we need some help. Yeah, I, I, I would say anybody that, um, any business that's just either feels underserved in IT or isn't sure what they need or, or want. Or, we really do everything, a wide gamut. And, and we, we help, we have two-person clients, two-person business clients up to 10, over 10,000. I mean, even Ford, uh, we've done work for Ford, um, and other you know, Fortune 500 companies. So it's really everything, and it depends what they need. Um, from, we, we're huge in healthcare is probably the majority now of our revenue. And so that's a niche we've gotten into. And we, I don't know, that's that's really been our biggest growth area, but we work with ad agencies and every, everybody else. Very cool. All kinds of cool work. You know, this show comes and goes so quick. And uh, we're down to like the last 45 seconds already. Oh, I man. can't believe it. Because, no. you know, we're going to have Justin back again. I mean, we hit the tip of the iceberg. We tried to paint this with a broad brush. If folks want to reach out to iWork and see if there's something you guys can do together, what's the easiest way to reach them? Uh, well, uh, I think my phone number is actually on the website. But um, give me a call. Um, you can call our office or just iwork, I-W-E-R-K.com. Um, check us out. And we're not like lawyers. Like, just talk, you know. We'll, we'll see if we can help you. And if we can't, we'll, we'll tell you somebody that might be able to. So right on. It's, it's very chill, very low pressure. People love it. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming down to the NRM studios today. Thanks. We're going to do this thank you. several times more, I guarantee it. And thank you guys, man. From paralysis to freaking vice president, that's what you get on the drop-in. So thank you very much for tuning in today. You know, like, share, let everybody know. Let's, po let's make positivity go viral. And just enjoy your day. That's what I'm going to do. I am Gerald Valley, and this is the drop-in.